Good morning and Happy New Year. The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Acts 1, 1 through 11. I wrote the former account, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after he had been given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. To the same apostles also, after his suffering, he presented himself alive with many convincing proofs. He was seen by them over a 40-day period and spoke about matters concerning the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he declared, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait there for what my father promised, which you heard about from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had gathered together, they began to ask him, Lord, is this the time when you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He told them, you are not permitted to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the farthest parts of the earth. After he had said this, while they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud hid him from their sight. As they were still staring into the sky while he was going, suddenly two men in white clothing stood near them and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you that you're the sovereign God who reigns above all. That, Lord, you go before us in this new year of 2024 and what a great way to start it off with a baptism. Thank you for Rachel's testimony and her willingness to publicly state, now I'm a Christ follower. And Lord, we just rejoice in that and just ask that you would continue to bless her and, and our college students that are in this room that are going back to school for college age that are uh, here and maybe working, etc. I just pray that you would go before these young people. <clears throat> Lord, we ask that you'd guide us as we go through uh, the text today. Thank you for your powerful word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would, turn to the book of Acts. Nothing like starting a new... I'm excited. I don't know about you. Starting a new book. This is, this is fantastic. Acts chapter 1 is where we are. So Acts chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 today. You know, the world has produced... Some great series. There's the six volumes, the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. There's one for you. Or the six volumes set on the Second World War by Winston Churchill. Or a more profound, intellectually deep series is the 164 series on the boxcar children mysteries. <laughs> there you go. Well, there's not 164, and there's not even six, but there is a two-volume series that's nestled in the New Testament. 
That is the Gospel of Luke, written by Dr. Luke. We'll talk briefly on him and the book of Acts. This book, the second volume, is considered the most pivotal book in the entire New Testament. When you think about it, it bridges the gap between the life of Christ and the letters to the churches. If we didn't have Acts, there's going to be a lot of missing parts here that we're trying to piece together. And Luke knows that as he writes this, this work. Notice what he says in verse 1. I, this is Dr. Luke, he is a follower of Christ. He joins Paul on his missionary journeys. Uh, some say that's because every time Paul's getting beat up, he needs a physician to assist him. <laughs> so he has medical attention at all times. And that's probably true in many ways. He says, I, I wrote a former account to you. Now, this, this tells us two things. Again, this is a sequel, the book of Acts, that means there was an earlier version. And I'd like you to turn to Luke 24. Just keep your finger in Acts, because this is vital in understanding this. In Luke 24, at the end of the narrative, we see some words which... If we had time, in fact, you may want to do this this afternoon. Take Acts 1 through 11 and Luke 24 and compare them. There are several similarities, and that's not a coincidence. It's the hinge. Because you go to the end of Luke 24, and we're going to, let's start, uh, where do I want to start? Let's start verse 44. It says, And he, that is Christ, said to them, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. He's addressing the apostles. That everything written to me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Wouldn't you love to be there? <laughs> Talk about a great theological lesson. And he said to them, Thus it stands written that the Christ would suffer, he would rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name, notice the authority, to all nations. There's the gospel. Christ came, he died, he rose again, and that you need to repent. <laughs> and he says, Look, I'm sending you with you, my Father has promised, but stay in this city until you've been clothed with power on high. What's the city? Jerusalem, right? It's interesting, Luke starts with a census from Rome. Geographically, it moves progressively to Jerusalem. Acts will start with Jerusalem, and we will end up with Paul imprisoned in Rome. So the, the crux of this, what we call a chiastic structure, is Jerusalem. And they're told to stay. Now, if we get to Acts 1, the text that we just heard read, you'll note, again, several similarities, several key things, that is, that Jesus teaches. There's fellowship with the disciples. There's proof of the resurrection. There's references to the kingdom, indirectly in Luke, ordered to stay in Jerusalem. They will be witnesses. They will receive power. And Jesus ascends. So we see that in both sections. And of course, again, this former account that Luke says tells us this is a sequel. It's a second volume it also tells us that there has been careful attention given. He's a doctor. <laughs> Luke knows exactly what he's doing. And in fact, if you turned to Luke 1, Dr. Luke writes, "...in as much as they have been undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us." Because remember, Luke is not an eyewitness to the things of Christ. 
He came as a believer. Some believe he was the guy who called the, it was the Macedonian call. But it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may be certain concerning the things you've been taught. So you come to, to Acts, and he says, I'm writing this account to you, Theophilus. Now, who is Theophilus? It's a name you might want to select for your next son or grandson. I don't know. Uh, it's funny. I went to school with a guy at Aberdeen. His name was Theophilus. It, 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 it means God lover or, or friend of God. But because of the reference to most excellent that Luke uses in Luke 1, we, we assume there is some social status. This is, this is someone who is of elite. He, and, and we know this as well from the literary quality of Luke Acts. You do not give Luke Acts to a first-year Greek student. <laughs> they will short-circuit. It, it, is, it is beautifully crafted. It's very intricate. And it actually picks up a lot of the classical Greek. It, but it's also well-structured. Just the book of Acts alone, we're going to see 30 years of the early church. We're going to see 30 countries mentioned, 50 towns, and nearly 100 people will be mentioned in the book of Acts. In other words, this isn't made up. This is, uh, these are real people, real events. In fact, 50 of the names that Luke will mention of people, you won't find anywhere else in the New Testament. We also know that Theophilus must be familiar with the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, because several times it's referred to in Luke's two-volume work. And it is debated, but many scholars believe that Theophilus is a believer, or he could be someone who is really searching for the truth. He is most likely, just as our author, a Gentile. And so you see the focus, and notice of this work, in, it says, I wrote to you about all that Jesus, there's the center. This is why Luke's writing. And it's, it, it's, it's the crux of the church. Now, this is not in the text, but if we were to tease out and look at the Gospel of Acts, and if you're taking notes, you will be quizzed over this. <laughs> there, there are four things that I think drive Luke in writing this second volume. First, he has to answer the question, how are Gentiles, non-Jews, included into the church? Remember, Luke's a Gentile. He's writing to a Gentile. This is a very important question. And as we're going to see, as the gospel expands, the church is established. By the time we get to Acts 10, we have Gentiles coming to know Christ. And by Acts 15, the church is short-circuiting because they don't know what to do. Because Acts 2, at the birth of the church, it's 100% Jewish. And, and so how do we... Bring them into the equation. Second question that he's got to answer is how could God's plan and messengers be met with such hostility? I mean, if, if this gospel is the real deal, Jesus is the real deal, then I mean, this should be as exciting as a bag of Doritos. I mean, everyone should want one, right? So, so what's going on here? Why is the gospel being met with hostility? Why are followers being beaten and shipwrecked and imprisoned? And so Luke will have to answer that question. There's a third one, and that is how the person and teaching of a crucified Jesus fits into redemptive history. 
Remember Paul states it in 1 Corinthians 1, the cross, a form of capital punishment. It was to inflict the greatest amount of pain for the longest period of time. Not invented by the Romans, perfected by the Romans. It was a stumbling block to the Jew and it was folly to the Gentile. You expect me to give my life to a guy who was under capital punishment? I don't think so. So Luke has to answer that question. It's vital to his narrative. And a fourth question he has to answer, if that is all true, then how do I respond to Jesus? And discipleship will become key. And you will see this in the lives of Peter and Paul in particular. One commentator says of Acts, it's an apologetic history slash geography. It's interesting. But certainly what Dr. Luke is doing is he is presenting Christianity to the known ancient world. This is, this is the truth. This is what I want you to grasp. Well, we'll notice in verse 2, it says, until the day, he says, I, I delivered all of this until Jesus was taken up into a heaven. The ascension is vital. It vindicates Jesus' claims. And it places all authority in Christ, which is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he says, after he had been given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, the Lord made provision before he departed. And so again, the, ind- the ascension indicates that Christ has accomplished what he came to do at the first coming, but it indicates as well he's not done. And as we were going to see at the end of this section, he's coming back just the way he left, the text tells us. Notice in verse 2, who's in charge? This is vital. It says, after he had given orders. Who's the he? That is Christ. The apostles, he has chosen. Christ is in charge. He's given the order. He's chosen. And it's all about him. And as he ascends into heaven, careful, because I've, I've heard people say this. Well, you know, in the book of Acts, it's about the spirit. Christ has ascended. Yes, but Christ is still very active. Who appears to Saul, who becomes Paul, on the Damascus Road in Acts 9? Christ. Who is it that encourages the the followers of the saints in Acts 18? Christ himself. So Christ still plays a vital role to the church. It's not as if he ascended and whoop, he's gone and we'll see him when he returns. Mm -mm. So now, after this, this preface... Luke makes a couple comments. He says, to the many convincing, to the, sorry, the same apostles, those he's chosen after his suffering, he presented himself alive with many convincing proofs. There's three things that Luke is going to note here. The first of these is the reality of the resurrection. He mentions convincing proofs. It indicates it's irrefutable There is no room for doubt. There is no room, well, you can have confidence but not certainty. No, no, he's not playing that game. In fact, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15 says, we might as well all go home, this is a hoax. And that is why, look at, well, Acts 2 in Peter's sermon, after he gets done waxing eloquently, he says, therefore, in verse 36, Acts 2, 36, let all the house of Israel know beyond a doubt that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. 
living in a post-postmodern world where doubt is applauded, this just flies in the face of Scripture. Oh, yeah. Peter said some of Paul's writings are hard to understand. <laughs> we could debate, and theologians have. That's why volumes are written. But there are certain things that we are to know without, with great assurance, and this is one of those. And it's highlighted again that, that Christ provided convincing proofs we're going to see as time progresses in this book, the world is turned upside down by Christ followers. It wasn't a group that's trying to start a new religion. There, there's no alternative story of Christ resurrecting or the dogs taking the body, etc. There's, there's no other accounts uh, that are floating out there from the first or second century. No apostle went and killed anyone who contradicted, <laughs> unlike other world religions that we know. No, in fact, those that are following Christ are persecuted, and no one says, you know what, it was all a hoax, this is a joke. No, 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 no. They know a certainty. Faith in the resurrection of Jesus is essential to the gospel. This message begins and ends with Christ, the resurrected one, and I love what one Puritan writer states, the resurrection of Christ is the amen of all his promises. And so as Luke is writing, he says, you know, Christ highlighted that, that the resurrection is sure. Secondly, notice the, the coming of the kingdom. We see this in verse 3. He says that he was seen by them over a 40-day period after he rose from the dead. And he spoke about matters concerning the kingdom. The kingdom becomes a central component to Christ's teaching. In fact, he will mention it 32 times. That word will occur in Luke's first volume, six times in Acts. It occurs in Acts 1, but it also occurs at the end of Acts, where we are told about Paul, who is in uh, prison, and it says he's proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Being loyal Jews, the disciples longed for the promise made to David that would be established, that the Davidic king would reign. They didn't realize that there must be at first a spiritual change in the hearts of the people. And we're going to see that here in a second. So as Christ in those 40 days is, is demonstrating the accuracy of the resurrection, discussion on the kingdom, and third is the reference to the power of the Spirit in verse 4, while it was with him, he said, do not leave Jerusalem. It's the same that happened before. Why? You don't want to miss what's going to happen. You know, you know, I think the last time there was some type of eclipse, I, I fell asleep. You know, there, oops. <laughs> well, another 200 years, you'll be okay. Uh, all right, here it is. You don't want to miss this. For, for he says, what you've heard from me, I've told you this, John baptized with water, and you will be baptized with the Spirit. The apostles are called to be faithfully waiting on the Lord. The Father promised it. Jesus conveyed it in John chapter 14. I'm going to send you a helper in reference to the Holy Spirit. And what is amazing to me as we go through this book, 50 times the Holy Spirit is referred to. Now think about that for a minute. This book is demonstrating the birth of the church, right? And it highlights the value of the Holy Spirit. In it, the presence of the Spirit is essential for God's people. 
John Owen, Puritan from the 1600s, makes a great statement. He says, mortification from a self-strength carried on by ways of self-invention unto the end of a self-righteousness is the soul and substance of false religion. The spirit alone is sufficient for this work. All ways and means without him are useless. He is the great efficient. He is the one who gives life and strength to others or, or, or to our efforts. John's baptism prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah. The baptism you say, see today is standing on the other side of the cross and it's identifying that we are following this Messiah, this Christ. The reference here of spirit baptism, however, is talking about the transformation that occurs when you accept Christ as your Savior and in the indwelling of the Spirit in this new era that's being highlighted. So Luke notes these things, and then he comes to verse 6. So when they had gathered together, that is the apostles, they began to ask him. Now notice what they ask. You would expect, you know, we've, Jesus appeared 40 days, and then it says in verse 5, not many days from now. We know that's 10 more days. It's the Feast of Pentecost, so we've gone 50 days. What's the question you would expect from the disciples? Where's the Holy Spirit? Right? That's what I'd be asking. You told us the Spirit's coming, but what do they ask? Lord, is this the time when you're restoring the kingdom? <laughs> Reminds me of the Little League baseball coach. Right? He spends several minutes talking about how you swing the bat, where you put your feet, etc., etc. And he says, are there any questions? Johnny raises his hand. He goes, yeah, can I use the blue bat? <laughs> no, wait a minute. That's all we're talking about here, right? The, the kingdom. Christ has for 40 days been lecturing them on the kingdom and the spirit and what they're supposed to be doing. And they ask, where's the kingdom? But when you think about it, it's a logical question, isn't it? Hmm. The disciples, I mean, it's human nature. We're looking to the end. We don't like the crud in between. We don't like the uncertainties of in between. <laughs> the struggles, the, the endurance, the working hard. No, let's just get to Christ coming back, reigning. That's, yay, we're done. And yet, verse 7 is clear. He said to them, you are not permitted to know the times or periods I told you that back in Matthew 24. No one knows the time. Instead, you're to be dependent on the Lord. You're to wait on Him. And God is in charge. The Heavenly Father is the one who has the authority. We'll see in verse 8. It's He who knows the times and the seasons. And we're called to wait patiently and serve. And that's why you get to verse 8, which is the key verse, I would argue, to the entire book. You get this verse, you got the book. All right? That was free today, but here it is. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Again, forget the kingdom stuff. Forget the eschatology. We're talking about pneumatology. We're talking about the theology of the Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem into all Judea and Samaria, into the farthest parts of the earth. Don't miss the components of verse 8. First of all, it says, you will receive power. There's enablement, both in word and in act. Again, the Lord does not provide an explanation of the delay. 
He doesn't need to. They're not entitled to it. But he does promise to sustain, provide, and see that he is glorified in and through them. And you may be sitting here this morning saying, yeah, I don't know why this. Why am I going through this? He didn't promise to take the valleys away, but he did promise to walk through them. And that's the blessing of our Savior, isn't it? And you see that here. He goes, you're going to receive power. Not only that, it's the power from the Spirit. It's not from man. Zechariah 4, this is the word of the Lord, Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Throughout the book of Acts, we will see ordinary people. Paul, whoo, Peter, eh. But God will use them in extraordinary ways. Literally, again, to turn the world upside down. In other words, Warren Wiersbe states it well, the power of the Holy Spirit is not a luxury, it is an absolute necessity. There are going to be two, if we turn this tapestry, the, the book of Acts over, we're going to see two major threads that are essential to the church. One is the power of the Spirit, the other is prayer. Every chapter in the book of Acts directly or indirectly refers to prayer. <laughs> and every, in most chapters, we'll refer to the Holy Spirit. What a comfort to know that the Lord goes before us. The world is not in the hands of politicians. It is in the hands of the living Jesus, the risen Christ. So remember that all power in heaven on earth has been given to him. <laughs> no wonder Paul can say, even in prison, with the possibility of facing the, the death squad, he says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. It's a reminder that we are to be dependent on the Spirit. And if you jump down in your notes to, uh, to principle B down at the bottom, a life controlled by the Spirit is a prerequisite to Christ's likeness, praise, and service. Galatians 5, we walk by the Spirit and we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What's the power of the Spirit? It's the fruit that it produces in and through us. That's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Please note, the fruits do not include theological nitpickiness <laughs> or spiritual elitism or a biblically critically spirit. It doesn't include any of that. Only remind us, what is it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And self-control. That's what they were given. They weren't given a, a master in theology. He said, oh, by the way, you're going to, whoo, this theology is just going to come right down. <laughs> going to suck it up and whoo. Or, or the ability to, to pontificate in Greek and Hebrew. No, 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 no. What I'm giving you is the power of the Spirit for the gospel. And that's what, why, and notice what the text says, so you will be my witnesses. Here it is. We are to convey the notion or the ideas, that, something that has been established. It's, it's relating the facts. I mean, think, think about it. I've seen enough uh, Perry Masons and Blue Bloods to know what makes a great witness. What makes a great witness is they exclude their personal feelings and interpretations. They state the facts. This is what it, this is. What it is. And the phrase, by the way, it's great. He's, notice the pronoun, don't miss it, because you're my witnesses. <laughs> and I love that because in Isaiah, the Lord says, God Almighty says to his people, you are my witness. 
which indicates, I think here, the deity of Christ. He is God. And he has the right to say, you are my witnesses, just like the Father said back in Isaiah 43.10. And that leads us to another principle that's in your notes. It's letter A down at the bottom. The evangelism is not an optional task for the body of Christ. As members of the church, our lives should be centered upon the gospel. I just heard this last week one of you wrote to me and said, I just led a dear friend to the Lord. Fantastic. That's what this is about. It's about reaching a world for Christ, is it not? That's what the text tells us. It's not so we can form a, a holy huddle and, 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 and sip on prune juice. That's not what we're here for. If you are, you've you got problems with Acts 1.8. You really do. The greatest need is not some kind of program that will give better conditions. This is only a band-aid. How do you solve the moral problems in our culture? The problem of death, the issues of etern eternity. Our greatest need is to know God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite preachers of the last 100 years, writes, The message of Christianity is not about improving the word, but about changing people in spite... Sorry, not about improving the world, but about changing people in spite of the world, preparing them for the glory that is yet to come. And the Lord says, as he is, is about to ascend, you've got power. It's from the Spirit, and you're going to be my witnesses. And notice it's to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. It's moving further out into the ends of the earth. Instead of you disciples being concerned about the end of the age, you need to be concerned about the end of the world. <laughs> this is a, a geographical issue. It's a global mission. Martin Hangel, the famous New Testament scholar from Tubingen, stated that Acts 1.8 is the table of contents for the entire book. He's right. Because as we move, we're going to see the gospel leave Jerusalem, go to Judea and Samaria. And by the way, unfortunately, it's through persecution. And then it eventually goes to the ends of the earth. And again, it's persecution. <laughs> the Lord turns up the heat because it's kind of a reminder. Hey, I told you to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. So let me help you do that. In other words, the Lord is providing both the message and the method. I've got a slide that I want to show you, just a, an idea here. You've got the gospel. That's what Jesus came and he died and he rose again. Jesus is the gospel. That's the message of him. The, the empowerment of the spirit, the apostles, the birth of the church, which we'll look at soon. The church carrying forth that mission, carrying the baton to the ends of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. The purpose of this book is to demonstrate that no one is able to hinder the march of Christ's gospel. It's a triumphant message. It's the birth of the church, the power of the Spirit, and all that the Lord will seek to accomplish. I, some people will call this the, the book of the apostles, that's not a great name because it's not about the apostles. In fact, how does this book end? Think about how the book ends. In Acts 29, it says, Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense. He's under house arrest. And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God. I read that earlier. With all boldness and without hindrance. Huh? I mean, I expected him to be charging Spain. Arriba! Right? 
You, you expect him to go on on that fourth missionary journey, and I mean, it's the, the, and he's in jail? And that's how you end the book? Yes, because it's not about us. It's about the gospel going forth, being proclaimed, and this triumphalism of the gospel message. That's what this book is about. Keener, in his four-volume work on Acts, says Jesus' words about the mission are stated as a promise rather than as a command. And the mission will be successful because the most reliable of characters has promised it. <laughs> He's given the power. He's given the authority through the Holy Spirit. It is, we are His messages, witnesses, to deliver His message to the ends of the earth. This is Christianity it is not some sort of philosophy, a moral code, or a political movement. I mean, think about it. Within two centuries, Christianity became the most powerful force in the Roman Empire. I mean, how does a movement start with a ragtag muffin of fishermen from Galilee, for the most part, and it turns into the Roman Empire officially declaring Christianity as the, their religion by the third century? It's through the power of the God working through his people for his glory. The world is turned upside down despite the world, despite the flesh, the devil, and the evil of men. God's message goes forth. If the power of God can do this, he can transform your life, can't he? He can give us peace in the darkest valley. He can give strength when all seems for naught. He can comfort when the darts of the devil one are flying. As noted in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? <laughs> and so the world is turned upside down. And then you see here in verse 9, and after he had said this, they were watching. Their jaws are to the ground. <laughs> he was lifted up the cloud uh, it reminds you of the transfiguration with Christ in all his glory with the cloud. And it says, as they were staring into the sky while he was still going, suddenly two men standing nearby, these angels most likely, who reminds us of the resurrection. Why two? Deuteronomy 18 says, you want to validate something? You've got to have two witnesses. So here it is. This is the one. They are testifying. And notice the angels state two things. First, there's a, a bit of a rebuke, isn't there? That's what they say to them. Why do you stand here looking up into the sky? I mean, you ever gone to the movies and people just sit there forever? The credits are already done. It's like, go on, move. I mean, they got to clean out the popcorn, right? It's like, ooh. I just, you know, move, let's go. They're kind of just standing there. Huh? What just happened? The motivation to serve the Lord and sharing the gospel is vital. The credits are done and those angels are saying, hey, get moving. You got stuff to do. Oh, yeah. And notice, I love it. There's a little rebuke, and there's also a promise. And it says, he will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Think about this. While the time of restoration still remains unanswered, and oh, we long for the Lord's return, we're assured of the reality of the end, aren't we? Just as Jesus left, he will return and that leads us to principle C there in your notes. Despite hostility from the world, we, the church, find encouragement to keep serving because of the promise of Christ's return. Even in the incredible provisions 
the power that's given, the Holy Spirit, and a glorious assignment given to us. That is the opportunity. Tristan said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. The message is here. It's not about us. It's about the gospel going forth. And I am excited about our study of this book. I don't know about you. My, I know I say it a ton, but my socks are rolling up and down. This, this book is just glorious. As we look at the risen Christ and the power of the Spirit moving through ordinary people to turn the world upside down for him. And I don't know if that doesn't excite you or you need to check your polls, but <laughs> it's glorious. But you realize the second volume, that is Acts, would not be possible without the first. That is, without the coming of Jesus, which we just celebrated at Christmas, his death on the cross for our sins, the suffering and it, for our sins, not for his. And the victory over death through the resurrection, the book of Acts, would be a moot point. So this morning, we get to come to communion. And it's our custom at the beginning of every month to have communion in our service. And as the elders make their way down to the front, some of our deacons, it's a great time to remember the greatest gift given to humanity, that is Jesus Christ. It's, for us as believers, it's the bread and the cup that symbolize what Christ did for us. And so that's why this table, the, the communion that we're going to take is designed for believers. Those by the way, who are walking in righteousness because Paul commends believers to examine themselves before taking this. In fact, he gives a grave warning in 1 Corinthians about those who have unconfessed sin and come to this table. So let's spend some time in prayer as we come to this very sacred time of, of just reflecting, yeah, he did this for us. And Luke says, it transforms, it, 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 it draws us in because through his death and burial, we have a relationship with him. So that's perfect.